0: Welcome again to the Bunker Talks podcast. Today our episode is all about B2B sales. And today to speak on, on the topic, we have an amazing guest who is Carson Hedy from St. Louis, USA. Carson Hedy is the best-selling author of The Birth of a Salesman series and is consistently ranked in top 20 sales gurus in the world. He's currently the sales director for Microsoft Health and Life Sciences, where he taps into his extensive experience in operations and regional sales leadership, strategic planning, motivational management, P&L, advertising, marketing, and more. Whoa! Along the way, Carson has proved that he isn't just a salesman; as he's become quite a pro at the complexities of deal making as well. Let's start with the episode for asking questions on b2b sales how to crack a deal how to close the deal how to follow up how to build the trust let's just start with the episode you having come from sales background carson as i mentioned in your introduction um how how do you see these days you know in, uh, as i mentioned uh, in your introduction that how how's the pandemic is driving uh the sales world uh carson to be you know just to set the ball rolling uh, for for this episode
1: yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's and, and thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure and treat. I always enjoy uh, the opportunity to talk about sales because the sales ecosystem has been so good to me. Um, you know, it, I, I was having a conversation the other day that I think it it articulates this well. And it's you know, sales at, at its heart is the same as it's always been. It's about relationships and resources. It's about people. And process. However, um, all of the variables have changed in the pandemic. Um, you know the way we connect meaningfully with people. Um, you know some of the expectations or needs around an, an in-person meeting versus a virtual meeting. Um, some of the tools at our disposal. You know, obviously, we're having a, a virtual chat right now. And um, so th- I think the a lot of things have changed from a variable perspective. But all of those things have changed and shifted and pivoted so that we can still meet customers where they are. And I think that's the key element. As long as we stay at the pulse of what matters to customers, you know, our prospecting might look different. Uh, uh, Our meetings will definitely look and feel different. Um, But at at the heart is is still, how do we meaningfully connect with customers and make sure we understand uh, what keeps them up at night and where we can add value
0: yes and how do you see uh, customers uh, you know managing this pandemic in the sense that how they are uh, interacting with their with their uh, you know with, with the salesmen with, with their clients but uh, to be specific how they are managing their salesmen you know when they are throwing the inquiries and salesmen approaching them so how how they are seeing the environment from from their perspective how do you see that trend you know going through
1: yeah so you know just as You know, the company that I work for and some of, uh, you know, the sales professionals that I know, I believe everyone is having different parameters um, because we're all shifting to meet customers where they are. So um, from a sales perspective and how sellers are being treated kind of in their own ecosystem, it's different. And I think it depends company by company, culture by culture and leader by leader. I've made a concerted effort not to... Micromanage employees, as an example. Um, I've made a concerted effort to make sure that I attune uh, to, you know, how my team is feeling. You know, we always try to start off with more of a a personal tone um, to a conversation, whatever they feel like or want to or feel comfortable sharing, uh, rather than just jumping into business. At the same time, I think it's really important that we acknowledge that if somebody's earned their right to be in a role uh, as a seller, as a sales leader, whatever it is. Um, it, they have a, a good degree of latitude to do things as they see fit. They don't need, um, you know, me or, or any other leaders leaning in and, uh, you know, constantly monitoring their activity and, and things of that stature. And so I think it's key that, um, you know, the, the sales culture is, um, you know, it shows some grace in, uh, you know how we treat sellers and um, you know that we continue to meet them where they are as well uh, that we provide resources support remove legitimate barriers to success because every organization that we're working with is also in turn uh, shifting how they meet their customers and we're in an unknown space um, you know we've not nobody in our lifetime has grappled with something like this. Um, so there's a lot of unknown terrain and we're gonna still continue to be in unknown terrain. So I think that's why it's even more important than ever to have that human element, uh, whether we're working with customers, whether we're working with each other, and whether we're working with sales teams.
0: And, and rather, you know, the, the good part, I mean, or rather the positive part is that, you know, it's it's going through really, really well, isn't it?
1: Overall, um, you know, I think it's amazing to see some of the tools and the enhancements that have come out, um, you know, just out of necessity and how we're able to connect with people. And I I definitely have seen it. I think it's um, it's incredible to be on a on a video call uh, with a senior executive and to have their baby crying in the background or <laughs> their dog barking. Um, it just yes, adds that correct. human element to all of it because I can relate. It's easy for me to say, hey, I, I, I can go grab my dog or or mm-hmm. my kid and, and we can join in. Um, you know, I just think it adds an extra human element. Uh, so I think I, that's why I, I encourage sellers to really look at the positives, um, the ability. You can be in a virtual call with a senior executive and if I needed to introduce another person to that element, in 2019, I would have had to have rescheduled, scheduled another, a follow-up meeting, could have been weeks out. Um, now, with the click of a button, you can add anyone globally into cool. a meeting. Um, so look at those, those, those elements of parameters that have shifted. I think things are going quite well, um, and I think it's because a lot of organizations are gravitating toward the ways that we can use these new resources to the advantage of our customers.
0: Correct. Fair enough and um, Carson, to to understand how the deal works you know in general out of coming out of the pandemic side um i would be asking a you know, very simple question how how to close a deal you know for a salesman it's something you know you have to you know be closing your quota and closing your deal so in in general i mean how do you close a deal for for our listeners you know who, who are entering into the sales world as a fresher or as a medium experience or probably a senior one i mean how do you how do you sort of advice to close a deal. I mean, just going through the deal, if you can just, you know, go through.
1: Absolutely, no, I love that. Um, deals, I wanna preface all this by saying that deals are a byproduct of relationships, collaboration, partnership. Um, and and when I say the word partnership, that can often be an overused word. True partnership means that we are seeking ways to collaborate with an organization, to share intel, to share value. Um, I've often found that deals are a, are a byproduct of a strong, vibrant relationship. So, you know, a lot of this starts with that initial outreach. You know, how did we develop these relationships? Um, you know, with whom are we working in the organization? Uh, do we Are we working with the right stakeholders? Do we have the right influencer relationships? Um, so there's one element that is the relationship itself. There's another element that is um, understanding the need and so when you have the right relationships with the influencers, and frankly, also with the influencers of influencers, uh, because they can often be just as helpful, if not more so, um, when, you, when you have those relationships to really understand and listen to what, what is the need, what's keeping them up at night, uh, what are elements of their organization that they are trying to optimize or improve, these are the types of areas where you start to look for synergies. Where can we add value? Where can my team add value? And, you know, I I think that's why it's so important that any deal starts with the foundation. Um, I like to say you can't uh, you have to set the table before you can feast. So you've got to make sure that you've got all these core components, have the relationship, understand the need. The other element, too, is understand the process. Um, You know, what what elements will they need to go through? What are key milestones? What are key deliverables? Um, because you've got to set out a mutual timeline and ultimately you've got to hold one another accountable to that timeline because inevitably some of these milestones will be missed and you've got to make sure that you're able to go back to them and they are able to go back to you um, in that uh, situation of mutual sharing and be able to hold each other accountable to these timelines that you agreed at the onset were critical. Now the other element too is understanding budget and understanding, you know, where will the budget come from? How will this be allocated? Helping it make sense uh, from a cost perspective. Um, And so there are several elements of the deal that all have to be in place. Um, This is how deals happen, Uh, but ultimately the deal will happen as well when I'm able to, as a seller, go to an organization, clearly articulate the resources or investment or uh, value, product, solutions, uh, the elements of the deal that I'm able to deliver, and then obviously there's an expectation because there's going to be an investment made on both sides. Um, it's you, know, you come to the table with the right people, you understand the parameters of that deal, what are the processes, who has to approve it, does it go to the board, uh, what are the timelines, and then toward the end part of that uh, there's the negotiation element and you know i've seen this happen in a litany of different ways with a litany of different people Um, ultimately the deal happens when the two sides agree uh, that the exchange is uh, meaningful for both organizations but um, it also doesn't stop there i think the other element to a deal is that there's some thought taken and process applied to what happens after the deal how will we work together uh, after something is signed between our two organizations so those are some of the key elements of the deal how's it happening now is also very interesting because a lot of these things are happening virtually Um, you know I'm obviously used to sitting across the table from a lot of the people that I negotiated with in 2019 and before Um, but now a lot of deals are happening just like this on a a video call and um, it's different Uh, however at the same time uh, the interesting element is that you know, rather than flying across the country um, or across you know the globe in order to meet with some of these stakeholders, uh, now a lot of these meetings are able to happen uh, via video call, which takes less time to organize, which can take less time to schedule, um, and is obviously a lot easier to support um, from a uh, travel perspective. So uh, those are some of the elements that would be top of mind for me if I was summarizing deals.
0: Okay, and. Uh since you have mentioned a book uh, on um, you know on sales birth of a salesman as a part of series and um, salesman on fire so i and therefore i want to ask you Carson, how to build a trust because trust is something that drives the relationship and eventually the sales and the closing part of the deal so if we start the process and you know the beginning part of the overall process that you just recently described the trust is something you know that is really important to you know sort of uh, that drive the sales relationship and uh, eventually, you know, selling the product or services, whatever you are into. So how do you, you know, sort of manage in driving the trust? How you create the trust between the buy committee and yourself as a salesman or, you know, in, in any 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 relationship to, you know, for that matter?
1: Very well said. Um I think the the goal of any seller is should be to be a trusted advisor of the organization or the people that they're working with and collaborating with, um, and I think it, it's it all starts with with good intent and with transparency. Um, I've often found that the more transparent that I can be with the process on my side, um, you know. How do I bring resources to bear for them? How do I uh, introduce them to other interesting people within my organization or other customers? Um, the more I'm transparent in the process, how I can best advocate for them and be an evangelist of their brand within my organization, those things help. Um, you know, I think as sellers, we're often we're tempted to reach out to, um, you know, try to say as many things as we can about our product and service so that hope, hoping that something uh, is interesting to them. But the challenge is, is that you if you haven't built that foundation of trust and transparency, it, it's not going to resonate uh, because they have no reason to believe that you have their best interests at heart. Now it's, it's a great responsibility um, to be the advocate for your own brand and your company is paying you to own the relationship with whatever organization you're attempting to work with, to sell to. And so in building that trust, a lot of it can be through um, the initial value that you can bring to bear. Uh, What what intelligence can you share with them? Uh, What stories are you able to tell about maybe ways that you've worked with other companies like theirs um, in order to transform their business? There's a lot of ways that you can do that. Now, I can tell you that I've had a lot of organizations that have said that they've worked with me despite my company's higher price or um, despite other elements because I was there, I was present, I was responsive. They'd send a note and I would be on it very quickly. And even when I didn't have the answer, I would send a message letting them know still working on this Um, or I would show them the process you know if I was reaching out to somebody a specialist and uh, I would copy them in on the correspondence so that they could see the chain of events Uh, these types of things are all very helpful because if you think about it from the customer's point of view um, they've probably heard from many many other hundreds maybe a thousand people that do similar things to what you do so anything you do that's going to stand apart stand out and also very clearly show that you prioritize the customer and that relationship these things are going to go a long way
0: yes i was about to you know ask you because many people you know uh, the competitors they might be doing the same thing you know in building the trust everything because knowledge is something it's it's a competitive world every salesman every every company you know they are carrying knowledge etc which is very important to you know they are training their salesmen and their sales team so, how, how important is to, you know, to have a knowledge, you know, exact, because everyone is getting, you know, that sort of knowledge, you know, the basic knowledge, that's why they're the part of the industry, that's why they're working over there in the company, that's why they're getting paid. So, how important is for that particular salesman to, you know, sort of beat that competition and, uh, you know, just get through that, that deal and you become a part of that, uh, you know, uh, as a, as, as a deal making process.
1: Yeah. No, love that question. I, I, um, one of the nice things about doing what I do, I get to connect with salespeople all over the world, like yourself. And, and I actually had a, uh, conversation not too long ago with, with a gentleman by the name of Pat Tenney, who's an author, um, lives in Canada. He's written a few books and, uh, he articulates this very well, um, because he actually talks about, um, you know, really the importance of, you know, when it comes to the, uh, the relationship itself and the deal, um, you know, how are we um, doing a SWOT analysis, so doing a strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats analysis of the, um, of the competition. So the element that he articulates here is, it's so important that we know our competition, but it's also important that we know what attracts customers To the competition so specifically if we go in right now and and i assume whatever you're selling it's very likely very probable that the organization that you're connecting with invests in something either with you or with your competition The goal is not necessarily always to unseat the competition the goal is to really understand what are the elements of the the competition that are attractive to that organization and so one of the things that i always try to reinforce within my team or you know when i'm working with customers myself is that you know let's understand the competitive landscape for sure um you know and whatever the customer specifically if you become a trusted advisor with them they're a lot more likely to share with you You know, what are they getting out of this, uh, this competitive contract? When does it end? Um, You know, how might you be able to compete? And, And don't get me wrong, we're not always going to unseat the competition. In fact, I've had situations before where I knew that my solution was not going to be a fit. And I even introduced them to a friend of mine who worked for the competition. Your goal should be to be the go-to resource. Your goal should be to be the trusted advisor. It's not that your solution is always the end-all be-all, it's that your solution can be a fit and you will do everything that you can to bring all of the resources to bear so that they can fully explore where it can work well in their organization. And that's why I loved what Pat Tenney shared in his book was you know, doing that strength, uh, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats around the, the competition. Figure out where they're strong, but figure out where they're weak. And if you understand where they're weak and you do some research about where the competition is weak, maybe you're strong in that area, that tells you where you want to be targeting. You find out if that, er- that area is a, is a uh, priority for the organizations that you're working with. Those are the types of things that are going to give you a competitive edge. Sales is a game of probability and chance. Um, you can control three things the quality of your outreach, of your presentation. You can control the quantity, the number of people that you reach out to, the relationships that you try to manage within that account. Um, And then you also control the consistency the consistency by which uh you're present you're there you're doing outreach and uh you're conducting cadences with those organizations so um control the controllables and uh you know from a competition i mean that's a great question because it's very controllable to understand where you stack up against the competition
0: i think yes um so as you mentioned you know swot analysis and uh, competition analysis that that is the key here isn't it
1: that's it I mean, that's really it. Know all the variables that you can. Um, you know, sales, just like career, is all about controlling the controllables. And it's very controllable what you know and understand. Knowledge is power. And the more research that you do on the competitive landscape, and frankly, on your customers and their industry, these things are going to really help you because they're going to enhance the the deliverable. They're going to enhance your, your talk track. You're gonna be a lot more effective when you're speaking their language as opposed to just trying to spout What's good about your product?
0: All right. So, Carson, let's just move on to the follow-ups now. You know, as we have built the trust with our, with our customer. Now, let's move on to the follow-up. They have seen our free trial. They have seen the product. They have seen the sample. They are happy. Now, come to the follow-up side, you know. So, in B2B, there's there's no deal, I believe, so without the follow-ups, isn't it? Are you I there with me?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what's so important is when you're, heading toward follow-ups it's being able to recap kind of where you've been a lot of times it's coming off a successful meeting and trying to set a next meeting or next steps um and some of these can get quite complex you know i've been in uh, executive briefs where you know we might have had a dozen or more follow-up conversations that needed to be set up um and then there's also as you pointed out there's some where you know maybe we did a trial of a, of a solution we did a proof of concept and it's okay Let's take this to production. And so I think the key element there is again, um, ideally in the planning and the discovery phases, you've mapped out the priorities and the milestones that you need to hit. And so ideally you're coming from a position of strength and that you can reach out to the customer and say, based on our established timeline and the success of the prior meeting or the success of the trial, it it seems that it's time to move into the next phase. Um, you know, let us know when we're going to be connecting in the next you know few days or week um, in order to discuss uh, that element. Or please let me know of any questions or concerns. I mean, you want to be in lockstep with that client, uh, but very often you'll you'll be leading. Um, you know, as the seller, you will be leading in the dance and making sure that it's progressing uh, the way that you initially envisioned. But what I love doing is making sure that as part of that discovery and part of that mapping, part of that planning, that you've established these priorities and timelines. Because sometimes we all know that things don't necessarily proceed at the same pace we want them to. Maybe you don't get a response. So this is where I've seen, you know, my ability to go back out and to say, you know, Hey, I just want to make sure we're still aligned to the timeline that you agreed upon or that you said was a priority for your organization. Um, Mm -hmm. I've got some concerns about meeting this critical deadline uh, because of the fact that, you know, we're we're about to hit, you know, we're about to pass or we've passed a key milestone date. Um, I need to allot resources. To get this done, um, I need to schedule those resources, um, and you know, let me know if I need to keep those resources for this project or if I should release them to go do other work. Um, the key element is to be very respectful of the timeline that they've stated, but also make sure that they understand that um, you know, we're bringing things to the table, we're bringing resources to the ba- to bear. Make it personal, drive it back to the partnership, to the collaboration, um, but be very respectful and clear uh, in your approach. But um, you know, completely agree. I mean, once you've had those successes, you will often want to be leading them into the next phase of what you've agreed on from a milestone standpoint.
0: And how to avoid the um, the questions like you know, hey, just checking in, hey, you know, did you get a chance? Types, you know, these questions. How to avoid that?
1: Yeah, you know, I've read a lot of articles on the value of the just checking in, and I it's it's very often, and it's probably overused. You know, people because it, it's it's hard, right? It's challenging to send a note because you just want the deal to move forward, right? Um, and so I think that's why a lot of times we try to take, we try to kind of dance around the approach and it's it's kind of a passive way of doing it to basically say, hey, I'm, I'm just checking in. And don't get me wrong. I've sent stuff like that in my career. Um, but I think- We all have,
0: element, have, trust me, we all have, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I think the key yeah. element is that why doesn't that necessarily work? Well, because you're not tying it back to what you've agreed upon as being personal. You're- just checking in to see if we're still on track or whatever it is i mean the viability of getting a response to that is relatively low it goes back to the probability game Uh, the viability of getting a response when you let them know that hey i've already scheduled resources or i've allocated resources to this project and I fear we're about to miss a milestone date. And if that happens, I can't guarantee that the, the availability of those resources, you better believe that that's got a much higher probability of getting a reply. Um, you know, the, the key element is I believe that both parties almost always go into the collaboration and the deal making process um, in good faith and with good intention. And there's a litany of things that can happen. You know, companies can re, you know go through reorgs. Um, there could be merger and acquisition activity. Um, there could be com- just complete elements that completely change the dynamic of the deal itself. Uh, but more often than not, when a deal goes dark or a customer goes dark, it's, it's merely a situation where, I mean, they may have other priorities on their plate. Um, I, I doubt, it's rarely out of malice, um, as long as you're working with the key stakeholders. And that's why I stress that you never wanna rely on a stakeholder to do your job for you. And what I mean by that is to have to sell this to somebody else who doesn't believe in it. If there's somebody else out there that ultimately has to sign off on this, you need that relationship, unless you trust the person that you're working with to do your job and sell what you need to to land. Um, And that's a risk. But um, I think the key component is making sure that rather than sending something, I'm just checking in, be direct, be, be pointed, and tie it back to what you've already discussed and agreed upon. And hopefully if you see anything or glean anything out of this conversation, it's that deals don't happen unless all of the other things have already happened.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think here uh, the situation is asking, uh, you know, the good questions. As a student, we were told, you know, there's every question is a good question. You know, there's, there's nothing but bad questions. And as a student, and you must ask questions to your professors and teachers, but in the sales world, I don't, I don't think so. You know, because if you are asking some, you know, some easy questions, some, some stupid questions that the information available on their website, and you must be knowing beforehand before before the meeting. So I mean, asking the very thought-provoking questions is the key in the follow-ups, isn't it? So how do how do ask those questions? I mean, do we do we sort of um, create those questions before the email or a meeting or? or phone call or or should be, I mean, how, how do you, uh, you know, create those questions or thought-provoking questions so that, you know, we can ex- expect some kind of response and in, into the follow-up questions that we are asking to, and, you know, just keep the momentum going.
1: Yeah, no, it's, the questions are so important. Um, and I think it, it depends on what type of meeting you're going into, if it's the first meeting, um, you know, you wanna definitely plan the questions. Something that I've actually found really helpful too, because I've worked with a, a, a lot of different industries, um, a lot of different executive titles, uh, doing an internet search on uh, the types of questions to ask that level of executive. Um, you know, looking up specific, you know, I've subscribed to alerts on different industries, different organizations. Mm-hmm. So to be able to have some of those talk tracks, Another amazing thing is with LinkedIn, as an example, I mean, you can go on oh, yes. their profile, you can look at their profile, see the types of things that they're interested in, their career trajectory. I like to find things that I can either flatter them with or um, introduce as an element, get to know them. I mean, this is somebody you want to work with. Some of the initial questions need to be relatively personal. Maybe, um, you shared the same university. Uh, maybe you had a sim- you're in a similar group um, or maybe there's been some landmark news that's come out about their organization. They've just acquired somebody or announced something. Um, so being able to start off with some of those types of things can see where they take the conversation. Um, but I always try to go into these meetings with the pretense of what I believe is gonna matter most to them. And in my history, it's typically either they don't invest with my company today um, or they do and that can kind of dictate the approach that I want to take um I want to understand you know what is their um what is their current familiarity with what we do um, what is uh you know how how might they be tackling uh, that need today if it's not through me um, and then also just asking some of the different questions that are uh, you know that, that lay the foundation you know helping understand what are what are priorities what what is their team uh, made up of what is what falls in their purview and their jurisdiction um, you know what are some pain points uh, you know just really understanding kind of the lay of the land and and then from that that's going to be it's like a tree i mean those those will offshoot into different branches uh, you can start asking about and that's how I set up kind of my initial meetings now going forward once you've built the rapport and you've built the um, you know built the relationship I'm a big believer in the challenger mindset Um, and it's really all about from there once you've already agreed on priorities or things that you want to do to work together um, making sure that you're very respectful but frank and direct about you know We've agreed on some of the, you know, the importance of some of these milestones, Um, you know, is this not still a priority or have priorities shifted? Um, and if so tell me about that you know it's it's very much like interviewing uh, someone Um, you know you really want to understand everything you can you want to listen as much as possible Um, but you want to ask questions that you believe will help the customer take it into a direction that will help you uncover ways that you might collaborate and work together and that could be Unforeseen. I go in under the pretense of what I think they're going to care most about because it gives me a better probability of getting the meeting. Mm-hmm. Once you're there, talk about what you think is going to matter most to them, find out what matters most to them, and then educate them on what you might be able to do together or what a next meeting might look like. I mean, your goal is to get a next meeting. Your goal is to stay in the room, right? To stay relevant to them, and so that's why I always look for any way that I might be of value. It could be introducing them to someone, Um, Mm -hmm. it could be bringing in a resource from my team, it could be sending them something. Um, But the goal—don't every time—the goal is to stay in the game, stay—you know, get a next conversation.
0: All right, and um, um, Carson, my next question to you is about the closing, you know, we have developed the trust and we have followed up through. And so it's all about, you know, closing the sales now, you know, they are happy with the product, they are happy with the service, they want to, they want to have us on board and they want to use our services. So the next part is, of course, you know, um, getting the invoice through their email and they just, they should be responding to that. They should be, you know, paying the advance, etc., or whatever, you know, they just, you know, signing the agreement. So how, you know, close that, you know, signing that agreement or, you know, uh, signing on that uh, the dotted lines, as they say. So how, how should we approach that? You know, everything is all right. They are, they're happy. They have, you know, they're absolutely pleased with, with the service or the product. They have said, okay, too. They have given the go ahead. How do you know, eventually, you know, close that deal? Everything is all right. Buying committee is okay. You know, just the signing is remaining. How do you, you know, sort of uh, uh, go through that?
1: Yeah, we've got to get their, you know, build consensus and we've got to get their um, agreement that first off, we're, we're advancing, you know, we're, um, we're aligned, but that we also align on the, the closure, right? The dates, uh, what the process looks like from both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, I find, again, the transparency element helps the most for me is that I can tell them what the process looks like on my side. How long does it take? Um, What do people on my side have to do? Um, Why I'm setting the deadline as as the way I'm setting it and getting agreement from them. Like my recommendation, if we're wanting to, uh, you know, close this by June um, you know, we want to leave a couple of weeks for processing or, you know, any other steps that need to be taken. Um, you know, as, a, as an example, do we agree that, you know, the 15th of the month um, is going to be reasonable? And if so, what does that process look like from your side? You know, who has to review it? Does legal look at this? Does it go to the board? Um, you know, we've got to be very crisp, well in advance. Um, and I think it comes into some of the early planning stages. Once you've got an agreement that there's momentum, um, I, I think the key element is making sure that you are um, that you're in lockstep um, around those elements. And then as you get closer to it, you know, obviously the, the you know, there's most likely going to be a negotiation. Right. So um, in a lot of cases, you'll you'll send the package, you'll deliver that Um however you ultimately decide that you want to do that. So you, you can send the package as far as the contract and, um, you know, ultimately describe what that looks like. You know, we need your, it, nowadays a lot of times their electronic signature um, or whatever that looks like, submit it to this, uh, to this email or this box or whatever that looks like. Now, um, typically the way that that's delivered, um, I think it's key that, especially if you've made discounts or you've made investments, um, whether it's right now or historically, I've found a lot of value in being able to articulate the investment that your company has made. Um, So a lot of times I'll even recap uh, some of the different investments that have been made up to this point. I'll talk about the investments that we're making now, whether it's a discount percentage or if there's some type of additional value that we're bringing in, like funding or investment. um, And I will articulate that. Um, Also, as I mentioned, it's also really important to look beyond the deal. How will we be involved? I think the more you can... Mitigate risk for your customer, the higher probability of closure. So you also want to help them understand like, look, this isn't going to just happen. And then, you know, the resources change, the teams change. Let's make sure we've articulated the plan beyond the deal. How will we be involved Mm -hmm. post-sale? And I think if you do that comprehensively, uh, you know, you can do that in an email and or follow up in a call. Um, I found those very helpful as if you have a call, ideally you have a meeting where you sit down, but that isn't as common today as it was two years ago. Um, but you have the opportunity to sit down together, walk through the investments, walk through these expectations, make sure that there's no concerns. Um, typically though, like I said, you will face some negotiation. Um, you know, they'll they'll typically ask you to, uh, sharpen your pencil as they say, and, (laughs) That's why I found, too, it's, it's helpful from a sales perspective. You rarely start um, with exactly where you'd want to end. You, know, you start with a competitive offer, uh, but you leave yourself some room, uh, maybe some approved discounts some approved funding. You leave yourself some room um, so that you can leverage those things to, if you need to from a negotiation standpoint. And I think that's very common. Um, as sellers, you often expect there to be some pushback. And as a buyer uh, you often expect that ability ability to be able to negotiate a little bit because ultimately it's about delivering wins i think the key component is that everybody feels like there's a win in it for them um so as a seller i always encourage people to think about their customer their company you know how do i make this a meaningful win for my company and themselves and their team like how do we get paid on this Um, there's got to be a clear understanding because if one of those relationships suffer it's a bad Mm -hmm. deal and so that's why I think as we put these things together, we've got to be very mindful of who wins. We don't discount the heck out of this deal where, the, where our company doesn't get a valuable deal but the customer gets something that's been devalued. We certainly don't want that because then they haven't recognized the value that we bring. On the flip side, we certainly don't want to come right out of the gate uh, with a customer that we really want to earn their business and not to give them something that's competitive. So we've got to be very mindful of all of these elements when we're closing the deal
0: fair enough and um, before i let you go carson you have written a book as i recently mentioned and you know which is a bestseller on amazon i was just going through that tell us something more about that you know writing the experience of your book and who should be reading that book you know i'm really really looking forward to you know reading your book to be honest
1: no i appreciate it uh you know writing a book was a great experience for me and it, it was one of those things that um it's transformed my life and my career in ways that i wouldn't have anticipated but It's not like I sold enough copies to retire. It wasn't about that for me. It was more. I felt like I had a message. I felt like I had something that I wanted to share. Um, I long ago. I've always enjoyed writing, and I was Mm -hmm. writing a newsletter column uh, when I was at AT AT&T about a decade ago, Mm -hmm. and uh, I found that I enjoyed writing about sales. And so I started putting together a sales book. But I was also very cognizant that there's a lot of phenomenal sales books out there i didn't look to compete or top them Um, i really looked to do something totally unique and so i wrote a sales book inside of a novel about a protagonist that i created who goes through these experiences and then writes that book so um, it's kind of a book inside of a book and um, i've done four of them now Uh, the the first was birth of a salesman back in 2010 and then salesman on fire came out this past year Um, It's been an amazing journey. Um, I always encourage people to find their superpower and find how they can leverage it to create a personal brand. Um, You know, writing that book for me was more about, I was noticed when I was being recruited for a role about a decade ago. I was only noticed, I only stood out because of writing that book. And then I got that job, was recruited into my next role because of a relationship that I made there. And then ultimately was recruited into Microsoft because of a relationship that I had made at that company. So I wouldn't be where I am today if it hadn't been for writing that book. It's very easy to look back um, on a career and look at, you know, connect the dots and see where some of these things have gone. Now you asked about like who should read it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's very story-esque. Um, so I think at any, you know, whatever your career is, um, you know, there's, there's some elements of career, there's some elements of faith, there's some elements of sales, leadership. Um, it's mostly about experience um, and resilience, um, especially right now. I mean, I wrote the last one in a pandemic. Um, so to be able to talk about how, um, you know, even on those days where, you know, we are um, not as successful as we wanna be, um, even on those days where we're not uh, where we have setbacks, um, even on those days when we're just not feeling it, how do we keep going? How do we persevere? How do we bounce back uh, from setbacks? Um, that's really what it's all about. So if that resonates, then Salesman on Fire is definitely for you. But um, it's, it's a very personal story and um, I really enjoyed the process of, uh, of writing it. And I've loved being able to connect with people all over the world
0: because of those books inspiring inspiring thank you uh, yeah um so i i think uh, let's just bring the curtain down for the episode it was really really ins- insightful to you know sort of hear your practical experience and i sincerely appreciate once again you just answered to the point and po- the pointed answer to the questions that i had in my mind So I, once again, you know, thank you, um, you know, coming over onto the podcast and sharing your, you know, deep expertise and uh, practical experience of the sales um, experience that you are, that you have been carrying around. So once again, I thank you. Thank you very much. uh, My
1: pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Same here. Likewise. Thank you.